Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Heidi Alexander. I'm also a law practice advisor with the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. That's LOMAT for short. We provide free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information, you can visit our website at masslomap.org. So here on the Legal Toolkit, my co-host, Jared Correa, and I provide you with a new tool each month to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. And before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Amicus Attorney, developers of legal practice management software. Let Amicus help you run your practice so that you can focus on what you do best, practice law. Visit amicusattorney.com and get started today. We also want to thank our sponsor, Scorpion, who delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practice. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Back in 2012, when the term content marketing was beginning to gain traction in the legal market, we discussed it here on the podcast. Now, four years later, it's about time we circle back to that topic and take a look at the current state of content marketing. My guest, Frank Strong, is the founder of Sword and Script Media, a veteran-owned business in Atlanta that provides PR, content marketing, and social media services. I've known Frank, as many folks in the legal community do, since his days as the communication director for LexisNexis Software Division in Raleigh. During his tenure at LexisNexis, he was the primary champion behind the LexisNexis Business of Law blog, which garnered tens of thousands of visitors from the legal community every month and earned praise from the likes of Forbes. Before Lexis, he worked with a number of PR and communications companies. So suffice it to say, Frank has a strong background in PR as well as intimate understanding of the legal market. Thanks for joining me today, Frank. Hey, Heidi. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Since we're talking about content marketing in this show, we'd better first define the concept. So tell us what it is and why it's important for attorneys. Yeah, that's a good question because there's an awful lot of noise over the term. And as a result, there's a confusion between what is content marketing and what is just marketing content. So let's start with a definition, and I'm going to use the one from the Content Marketing Institute. And it says, content marketing is a marketing and business process for creating and distributing relevant and valuable content to attract, acquire, and engage a clearly defined and understood target audience with the objective of driving profitable customer action. Now, that's a mouthful, so let's unpack it a bit. Let me give you a simple example. It may be oversimplified, but uh, for the sake of illustration, a plumber decides to make a video on how to fix a sink. And an objection might be, well, I don't want to show people what I'm doing because then it might jeopardize my business, right? It might cannibalize my business. But in fact, what will really happen is people will watch that. They will understand the process the plumber goes through and then probably hire him or her anyway to get the job done because it's about education and education is a path to building trust. And trust is obviously a pretty important uh, aspect to a business like a law firm 
where clients invest in good legal counsel and place very sensitive issues in the hands of their attorney. So there's a couple of characteristics, and I'll finish up with these characteristics. That is, number one, it's a platform that you own, right? It's a microsite, a resource page, a blog, or some other medium that allows you to directly attract and engage a community of clients, potential clients. Number two, it's consistent. And that's important not only to condition you to produce, but also to condition the audience to expect and to see that content. Number three, it has some form of utility, right? Educational value. Uh, number four, it's built for the long term. Right? It has compounding returns, right? Just like an IRA or a 401k, right? You've got to invest both in the upswings and downswings of the market and the returns compound over time. And then finally, I'd say it's not just a program, but it's a culture. Right? It's about your entire practice and how you market and address the needs uh, of your clients and prospective clients. Now, you just touched upon this, but let's really dig in here. What do you recommend for attorneys in terms of where they should publish their content? Is it better to focus on building up, let's say, one content distribution channel, such as a blog, or should you aim to produce content for distribution in multiple places? Another great question. It comes up an awful lot. And if there's one thing that folks listening uh, remember from this podcast and take away, it's this. Don't make home improvements to rental property. What this means is focus your efforts on a platform that you own, be that a website, a microsite, a resource page, a blog, because if you don't own the platform, the rules can change. A very clear example of this is Facebook. A few years ago, there were businesses that were questioning whether they even needed a website anymore because their Facebook page was so effective. Then the platform started to monetize, and what they did was they cut organic reach to near zero. In other words, branded pages, like those a law firm might have, earn nearly zero visibility unless they pay money. So it doesn't matter what the platform is, whether it's LinkedIn, Google+, YouTube, Snapchat, or Medium. If you don't own it, they can pull the rug out from underneath you. So does that mean that you should never publish on LinkedIn or never write contributor articles or never do any sort of native advertising? Of course not. But do those things in an integrated fashion where, A, you're not over-reliant if the rules change, and, B, you have a standing invitation or call to action for a little bit of that community to join yours. Now, when I talk to lawyers about marketing their practices, I inevitably get two questions when it comes to content. The first question is, how do I come up with all of this stuff? And the second question is, how do I make it unique? I mean, hasn't someone already written about this topic? What do you recommend here? So the easiest place to get started is by answering customer questions. Now, I'm a small business, so I recently gone through a contract phase where injunctive relief came up. Well, I don't know what injunctive relief means. Um, you know, a businessman, I'm not a lawyer. What's the first thing I did? I Googled for it so I could understand. The same could be true in other aspects, right? If you're in family law, what is the process to petition for legitimization? Right? People understand how long it takes, where they have to go, where are the steps that are involved? And so where can you find these questions that clients might have? Start by listening to them and write them down. Every time you hear a client or a prospective client ask a question, write it down. Certainly you could do a whiteboard, a brainstorm with staff, whether that's paralegals, other attorneys, even the folks that answer the phones, right? They're hearing questions as well. And of course, going through a number of electronic forums or online forums, if that's a review site like Avo, Quora, which is a Q&A platform, LinkedIn groups, even news and articles or blog posts, that might come up with questions. The second part of your question is, how do we make it unique? 
Well, use stories and anecdotes, right? Our minds are wired to remember stories. So tell it in your own way, right? And the reason why that's important is because it's just like learning algebra in high school. You might have tried to learn from one teacher, and that teacher did everything they could to show you how to do it, and you just couldn't get it. But then suddenly you went to a different teacher who showed you a slightly different way, and the light bulb goes off. It's the same thing here. So why is all of this important? That's because most of the digital traffic, for example, kind of traffic that a website might get, comes from searching. And searching is an explicit expression of need. Second, there's no such thing as agnostic search. So no two search results are ever going to be the same. If you're telling stories and you're saying things in your own way, your content is going to be unique. Thanks. Those are all great ideas. Now, as you know from working in the industry, attorneys, they're busy, right? It's tough to find time to draft and then also to publish all of this content. So what do you suggest as a realistic publishing schedule? Do attorneys need to carve out time each day or each week or even each month? So <laughs> the answer to that one is probably familiar to lawyers. It depends. And, and I'll caveat that. So with the caveat, that quality is probably the minimum barrier to entry. Consistency matters more than frequency. Like I said before, it conditions both you and your community. Now, whether that's once a month, twice a week, or every day, whatever you do, do it consistently. And as an extension of that, you have to make sure that it's sustainable. So it's better to ramp up if you have capacity than to try to tone it down if you realize that you're trying to do this more often than you have the capacity to do so. Well, thank you, Frank, but we do now need to take a quick break. So stay tuned because after the break, we'll continue talking about best practices in content marketing. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Not getting enough cases from the internet or the kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for their law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms who partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. These days, law firms need to do more with less. Making this happen requires efficient, cost-effective tools that work the way you do. Available as a desktop or cloud solution, Amicus Attorney Practice Management Software improves the organization of your firm and drives your bottom line. Visit amicusattorney.com to discover how you can join thousands of lawyers who rely on Amicus every day to run their practice. Welcome back to the second half of our show with Frank Strong, founder of Sword and Script Media. Let's move on to talk about social media and content marketing. Why is social media essential to content marketing? And what are some best practices for using social media to facilitate your content marketing? Well, I'd be cautious about calling it essential because I think what is an essential channel varies from organization to organization and will certainly vary from law firm to law firm. It is essential if your clients and prospective clients are there. And a good way to determine that is to see where your traffic comes from now. For example, use Google Analytics. Most organizations will find their top source of traffic is organic. And then spots number two or three will probably be either direct uh, or uh, perhaps a social channel. And then the, the next piece of that is evaluate whether you think you can get more traffic and by extension more clients 
from a particular site, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, so on and so forth. So to that end, a couple of best practices are, first, to think about social media as a hub and spoke, just like airline travel, right? Whatever your own media platform is, that's your center of gravity, and the social channels are just spokes. Next, you don't need to be on them all. A busy attorney doesn't have time anyway, so pick one and focus on that. Focus on the one where you think your clients are there. Test that hypothesis. If they're not, move on. Next, share stuff other than yours. Nobody wants to hang out with someone that only talks about themselves. That's true online. It's also true offline. Third, it's like networking, just like in the real world. If you show up one day expecting to close deals, you're going to be sorely disappointed, just like your local chamber of commerce. You're not going to walk into one event and walk out with a new client. But if you go consistently over time, people get to know you, you build trust, and the referrals start to come. And then lastly, don't overlook paid social. Right? It's similar to PPC, but it's different. The ways in which it is different is in the targeting. Right? Highly targeted, cost-effective. An example would be if you are a solo or small law firm, a good way to target potential customers and prospects on Facebook would be uh, groups around the Chamber of Commerce right? or technology associations. You can also do it by geography and title. And instead of having a strong CTA to, to come check you out, offer them a piece of advice, right? Pitch your content, those questions that you answer that you know they're already asking. Yeah, I've also been hearing a lot about Facebook-sponsored posts, boosting your posts, the advertising on Facebook, and how helpful that can be just in terms of narrowing your focus so that you can hit those specific demographics of that potential client that you'd like to hit. Yeah, well, with, with Facebook in particular, I think I recommend using like sponsored posts. So write your own content put that on Facebook and then pay to sponsor it and then use the targeting features to reach the audience that you're trying to reach. And certainly you can use some of the instant articles or, you know, the old notes. They've had a variety degree of kind of a blog platform, if you will, but it comes back to don't making home improvements on rental property, right? Put your focus on your own platform and then use those other channels as the spokes to bring clients and prospective clients back to your hub. Yeah, I mean, that's especially good advice because now LinkedIn has their own publishing platform. So, you know, that's something to be wary of, as I hear you saying. Yeah, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Google Plus, Medium. There's a new one. I'll tell you in, uh, gosh, it must have been 2010, there was a platform called Posters. Posters is something between a blog post, but more than Twitter, right? So it was in between. I put up 220 blog posts on that platform over the course of two years. And then suddenly it shuttered, gone, all 220 posts. So it was a very challenging lesson to learn in terms of rental property, right? I don't control that platform. They can change the rules. They can disappear. They can be acquired. Any number of things can happen. That's why I I think one of the key principles in content marketing is you've got to own whatever platform it is that you're trying to develop. Mm So based on everything that we've discussed here, clearly content marketing is much more involved than just writing and publishing a few articles. So clearly to be successful, you need some sort of strategy. So what does a good content marketing strategy look like? So a couple of things. Number one, it's documented, right? With a clear purpose and editorial policy. Just like any other process or procedure in a law firm, from client intake to billing, content marketing needs to be documented. All right. The Content Marketing Institute teams up with another organization called Marketing Profs. Uh, they're, they're both very respected within marketing circles. 
Um, they do an annual survey every year, and year after year, they find that best-in-class marketers are more likely to be successful than their less effective peers if they have a documented strategy. So putting it in writing cannot be overstated. When you start to write things out, you begin to see ways to improve it, uh, better ways to do it. Number two, uh, like I've said over and over, it's got to be on a platform that you own. Right. Number three, it's focused on iterative improvement. And this is an especially hard one for um, sometimes for attorneys to accept because they're so focused on perfection. But it's the old adage that perfect is the enemy of good enough. Sometimes you've just got to keep it going. You can always improve content. Um, I look at things I wrote three, four, five years ago, and gosh, I would do it completely differently today. But I wouldn't be where we are today if I hadn't taken those steps when I did. And then lastly, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? We talked a little bit about time. We talked about compounding returns, just like your retirement accounts might be compounding returns, just like the relationships you would build in uh, networking events in the real world, like the Chamber of Commerce. Content marketing is a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to show up on day one and have all kinds of results. You've got to build that over time. Well, thank you for that. You're basically doing my work for me. That's something that I harp on with all of my clients. Document, 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 create processes. Very, very important. So looking back at content marketing over the years, you know, it seems like it's changed. So can you talk a little bit about how it's changed and what you see as some of the current trends in content marketing, sort of what we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, so I think there's three. And I think this is all prefaced by the evolution in the density of information. What do I mean by that? In 2010, the then Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, said that every two days, we create as much information as we did uh, from the dawn of time up until 2003. That was six years ago. The density of information hasn't slowed any. So you don't have to be involved in electronic discovery to know that the volume of information is going to continue to grow. It's very, very noisy. How do you cut through the clutter? Number one, I think there's going to be a reevaluation of content output. In content marketing circles, a lot of times more and better seem to be divergent trends. Um, I think brands and law firms and anyone in, in content marketing needs to be focused on creating better, not necessarily creating more. And then secondly, there's a renewed focus on content distribution. There's a number of statistics and surveys in marketing circles going around that 60 to 70% of the content an organization creates goes unused, right? That's because they finish one piece and they're on to the next. And so there needs to be a focus on distribution. How do we leverage what we have already invested in, the, the money, sweat, and equity we've already put into these assets we've developed to get more out of them, Right. So this is a renewed focus on distribution channels, whether that be social media, whether that's organic search, whether it's paid models, whether it's guest posting, contributed articles, but looking at other ways to distribute uh, the existing content that we have. And then finally, the last trend that I see is that there is a move in build versus buy, right? So we know that building an audience, building the community takes time. The other alternative is to buy one. And a very clear example, which uh, got lots of play in legal community, was Microsoft's acquisition of LinkedIn, right? A lot of folks see that as a data play or a technology position. You know, what are the implications for CRM and law firm CRM and all those sorts of things? But really, I think other pundits in the community are looking at that as an audience buy. It comes down to about $60 per user on LinkedIn. So Microsoft is buying an audience. There is no reason to say that a law firm couldn't do that. 
on a grand scale, perhaps it could be one of the large firms buying, you know, a, a publication like today's general counsel or corporate counsel from ALM. Imagine the ripples that would have in the industry if something like that happened. But I don't think that excludes small law firms. They can certainly think locally. Here in Atlanta, there are a number of business publications, you know, small blogs that have grown up and basically run like a newsroom today. Um, and they have advertising. And they run. That's an opportunity for some of the smaller firms to buy into that market as opposed to trying to build it. Um, and I think that's a trend we're going to see more and more of uh, in the next uh, probably 12 to 18 months. All right. Well, thank you, Frank. I'm sad to report that we've reached the end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit. Thanks, Frank, for joining me on the show today. Uh, if any of our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, how would they go about doing so? Uh, certainly, my uh, my website is uh, swordandthescript.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Frank underscore Strong, and uh, virtually any social media site, either Frank Strong or Frank underscore Strong. Well, thank you, Frank, and thank you, listeners, for joining me for another episode of The Legal Toolkit. Remember that you can check out all of our shows anytime you'd like at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. for a podcast that was created for new solos? Then join me, Adriana Linares, each month on the new solo podcast. We talk to lawyers who have built their own successful practices and share their insights to help you grow yours. You can find new solo on the Legal Talk Network or anywhere you get your podcasts.